There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL draft this year. My name is Danny Kelly, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Heifetz, Ben Solak, and Craig Borlbeck. We cover trades, free agency, and the draft, obviously. We'll tell you about everything, including which quarterbacks are good, which quarterbacks are not as good, and which quarterbacks are just Kirk Cousins. Search the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in president select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now, he's the sports director at iHeart Boston. He's the host of The Gambler on WRKO 680. He's the host of Celtic Speed. He's all over the place. Adam Kaufman. Kaufman, thanks for coming back on, man. How are you? Hey, you know, I needed some some reason to justify taking a break from binging Reacher. So I appreciate you, uh, you pun intended, I guess, reaching out so that I could do something a little different. Although I am eager to get back to it. Have you watched that show? Reacher, I have not. Is that the show where the guy's like super jacked? I don't know what he does, but he's yeah, is that he's the like, show? yeah, he's borderline superhuman. So if if anyone, if you or or Jamie or any of your you know li- listeners out there watched Blue Mountain State, you remember it was it was kind mm, of yes. a cult classic. So um, the the God, what's his name? Alan Richmond, something like that. I think is the star of the show. But he was on Blue Mountain State, which is when I first you know discovered this guy, and he was a total unknown at that point in time. And uh, I I didn't watch that when it was on. I started watching it at the very beginning of COVID and just, you know, binge through the two, three seasons, whatever it was, and loved it and like fell in love with this dude. And then, yeah, he's a totally different character, obviously, but he's the uh, yeah, he's like the freaking Hulk, uh, basically. But they made those Reacher movies with Tom Cruise and then this you know is is totally different but it's it's fun man you should check it out it's only two seasons so far and i'm just rapidly blowing through this thing yeah i want to start a new show i haven't lately i will say like i think i've seen the previews for that like i said i knew how the guy was super jacked it's on amazon prime right yeah yeah okay yeah that's where i've seen the previews for that and watch too each season's only eight episodes i think so you'll get through it yeah i I just, you know what I end up doing is I just end up rewatching episodes of Curb. That's what I do. Like every time, just, it'll be like late at night, games will be over. I'm like, you know what? I'm yeah. going to put, I don't want to pay like super close attention. So let me just throw on Curb. Although I have been watching recently a documentary. It's called The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. Have you seen that? 
No, I thought you were going to say, I have been watching a documentary. It's called The Dynasty. It's oh, yes. Well, I have been watching that, too. I've seen all I've seen all those episodes. No, I, uh, no. that that documentary I haven't even heard of. It's insane. I don't, I don't even know if you'd want it. Like, I started it and I kind of regret watching it because it's just it's so sad. So but now I'm at the point where I have to finish it. You know what I mean? Like, I have yeah, to watch the whole thing. Committed. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But anyway. Dynasty has been awesome. And speaking of the Patriots, you know what hasn't been awesome is the report card they got from the NFLPA cough. <laughs> yeah. See that that's that's one hell of a transition. You I learn like that at Syracuse, market. you know? Yeah. That's that's what you pick up in broadcasting school. That's so right. anyway, the, this NFLPA survey comes out. Now last year the Patriots were twenty-fourth out of thirty-two teams. You think, okay, they'll be better, they'll improve some of the stuff, and actually no. They finished twenty-ninth of thirty-two teams in this NFLPA survey. Their owner, or ownership, I should say, D plus 27. <laughs> it says in the NFLPA report, club owner Robert Kraft receives a rating of 6.9 out of 10 from Patriots players when considering his willingness to invest in facilities. Treatment of families. F minus. I didn't even know F minus was a thing. Okay. Yeah. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even know you could get an F minus, right? No, I didn't know that was a legal mark. Like I, I, I didn't either. I thought truly was the floor. Yeah, is just adding insult to injury. <laughs> At that point, you might as well just use a different letter than F. Geez. Yeah, gave, gave him a G. Yeah, so in terms of the family treatment, it says one of 12 teams that do not provide a family room during games. There are, they are one of seven teams that do not provide daycare support for players' children on game day. They're one of only four teams that do not offer either a family room or daycares. Okay, so that's not good. Weight room, F. The players feel the quality of their weight room equipment is below average. Okay, so apparently they're working on a new weight room. We'll wait and see on that. But the interesting component to me about this whole situation, I go back to just a couple of weeks ago when Mm -hmm. Robert Kraft was asked about the spending because we found out that last year the Patriots were 31st in total cash spending, and we found out over the last decade they actually spent the least amount of money in the entire NFL for a decade. Robert Kraft says, I know there's a perception that we have held back on spending. Let me just say for our fans, that's just not true. Look, we're blessed to have a coach in our system who was a great coach and also understood value. He ran a tight ship. Okay, so the reason we didn't spend, I wanted to, but it was Bill's fault. Now we have facilities are a problem. They are not treating families well in terms of daycare and whatnot, which I don't understand. Why can't you just have daycare for the kids like all the other teams? I go like, like I go to the gym at, uh, humble brag that I go to the gym, but anyway, my gym, yeah, which is very close to where I live, they have daycare for the kids, okay? So you can go, yeah. you go to the gym, you can drop your kids off there at the daycare in the gym. They don't even have this for the Patriots, apparently. You can't leave your kids there when you go to games. So I just, I say all that to say this whole offseason to me And I understand moving on from Bill and all that, right? I'm not getting into the decision of getting rid of Bill, but it does feel like there's been this, I keep calling it a smear campaign, to go after Belichick and blame him for everything. And now, like, he tried to hide behind Bill for the spending on the team. Well, what about the rest of the organization here? To me, this looks really bad for Kraft, especially since it got worse from last year. Yeah, so I... (laughs) I'm listening to all of this and I'm thinking, all right, so how how are they going to put this on Bill? Like, who's going to re-edit the final episode of the Dynasty before it airs to sit crap <laughs> down again so that he can slide in just a quick little mention about, you know, if Bill had had wanted us to take better care of these players' families, 
then you know we would have made it a point to <laughs> x y and z and it's it is kind of nuts and we can obviously talk about the little smear campaign or, or whatever else as we go on but the it, you're right it doesn't look good obviously and there's just no way for for craft or you know be it robert jonathan anybody in the organization at the ownership level to distance themselves from the fact that this is them i mean this you can look at i think it's fair to a degree a really strong degree actually to look at and point to bill belichick when you're talking about salary cap and cash spending and all of that on personnel within the organization your players because i do think that you know, after a while, and and Bill certainly in in winning six championships and and reaching nine Super Bowls during his two decades in New England, he earned the benefit of the doubt and then some. You know, I, I think Kraft was well within his right to, when it comes to that stuff and and personnel power, defer to Bill. If Bill mm-hmm. doesn't want to spend it and feels you know, hey, we don't need it, then fine. You know, and and so could could they have spent more? Sure, obviously, but that doesn't mean that Kraft was unwilling because all signs really do point to Bill. I mean, a most recent example or one of the most recent examples, like could they have afforded, chosen to pony up a, you know, real, relatively small amount of money in the grand scheme to sign DeAndre Hopkins? You know, uh, of course they could have, but they didn't. You know, they just, you know, once again decided we're not going to give Mac Jones or our offense any any sort of dynamic weapon. And I know he didn't have this amazing season, but, you know, you're going to tell me he he wouldn't have helped. So these are, you know, certain things that do come back to Bill. But in terms of, like you said, the questionable facilities, and, and my God, I mean, how many times over the last handful of years has Bill Belichick gone to a, a road city and done his media availability and just praised up and down the facilities and the weight <laughs> and the, Dallas. you know, <laughs> Vegas, I mean, obsessed with Vegas, you know, when when they built that new stadium, Allegiant out there in L.A., SoFi, all of it. And it is true. I mean, the, you know, the the vast majority of stadiums at this point in time, because, you know, Gillette is 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 two decades old, more, almost two and a half, you know, the uh, or almost 25 years anyway, the uh, the the most facilities are are, uh, you know, far advanced over what the Patriots are working with. And so if if they have not worked to either, you know, players don't care about putting in more luxury suites and, and you know, improving the scoreboard and all of these things, they care about the things that are obviously in this survey. So if, if the Crafts have, have not made it a point, this has nothing to do with Bill Belichick and they would have gotten a check mark from Belichick anyway. Yeah, go, please do it. You know, if they have elected to not improve the weight room and, and some of these other components that fall under the, you know, quote unquote, treatment of families category that does come back to ownership. And I, you know, I, I think that I, I'd sort of forgotten about this. It made headlines, uh, you know, months back and I'm sure you remember, but I, I was reading earlier, you remember the whole thing with Pete Carroll when he was on Richard Sherman's podcast and he was talking about when he came in to replace Bill Parcells and he knew, you know, one, one of his first days that he was this, his words, but he knew he was in trouble working for the crafts and working for the Patriots because they're in training camp. And, you know, he's coming from, what was it? The Niners, I think, where, where he was yeah. assistant at that point in time and wanted to, you know, feed the players a certain way, just a, a, a certain level of food, you know, that, that should be up to NFL standards and crafts. Like we're not doing that. Or, you know, they can have like bologna sandwiches and, and, you know, Pete Carroll said, 
all right, like this, this is not going to go well. And it just sort of seems like that extrapolated over time has been the consistency. There's a, there's a component of cheaping out when it comes to this stuff. Now I'll be honest. I never put two thoughts, uh, or, you know, into the idea of there being daycare on site for, you know, players, kids during games. I, I, I'm not surprised. It seems like a very kind of millennial line of thinking. So why wouldn't that exist? But I just never even occurred to me that that is something that that you would need. But I mean, sure, I, I guess. Uh, but obviously everybody else has it or most other teams have it. And the Patriots are just behind the eight ball. And like you said, rated poorly last year and took a step back from an already pretty dismal rating. And that's that's concerning. And I'm I'm not excited that Bill Belichick is gone. I am excited, sort of uh, much like in the way that Marcus Smart has gone from the Celtics, that, you know, if, if things went poorly, you couldn't point to Marcus. Well, now if things go poorly, you can't point to Bill. Like, the scapegoat is gone. Mm. Now now it's on you. And and I think the Crafts are, they, they have no choice but to improve these things. That's a really good point, because now all the decisions that Kraft has made, like, if Elliot Wolf's not a good general manager if he's not good at drafting it's going to be on Elliot Wolf and that leads back to Kraft if Gerard Mayo is not a good head coach it's going to go on Robert Kraft and you make a really good point about like the spending the Hopkins thing totally agree with you on that I just think it's funny that the whole offseason has been about smearing Bill and then all of a sudden we get this report and it's like you can't really blame Bill for this one and it brought me to this interesting thing that happened we're recording on Thursday early afternoon Thursday morning Gerard mm. Mayo's talking to the, or I should say yesterday, Gerard Mayo was talking to the media on Wednesday, and he had previously said on WEI that he was ready to burn some cash because the Patriots now have the second most salary cap space in the entire NFL. He said at the press conference in Indy, I kind of misspoke when I said burn some cash, but I was excited when you see those numbers. When you reflect on those numbers, you don't have to spend it all in one year. So now, after saying we're so excited to spend all this money, Mayo's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Like, I I, sh I shouldn't have said that. So I am interested to see sort of where they spend their money. And Elliot Wolf said the other day that Michael and Wenyu, Kyle Duggar, they'd like to bring these guys back. I do think that they've at least given on when you and I referenced what he said the other day about him being a cornerstone player he kind of given on when you some leverage there when you say publicly he's a cornerstone player like okay now he knows and I know he doesn't currently have an agent right now but I do wonder if they're going to go big game hunting in the offseason and say hey let's let's get a premier weapon let's trade for somebody out there but after Mayo said this maybe they took the temperature and said hey maybe we should ease back on this. I don't know how much money we're going to spend. They do have to spend money to get to a certain point but yeah, maybe it's just bring yeah, maybe it's just bringing their own guys back. Well, don't forget too that the I mean good god, please don't just bring your your own guys back. I mean your own guys aren't very good. <laughs> you know that I, I mean how how talent depleted is this team? I mean this is this is a, a Bill Belichick thing. This goes back to you know the last handful of years even when Brady was still here when you know he was covering up a, a lot of deficiencies on that on that roster you know Bill I, I still think Bill Belichick could be here as the head coach the problem is you couldn't keep him as a head coach and strip him of personnel power and Belichick right. the GM has been screwing Belichick the head coach for years I mean many many years whether in the draft or obviously in terms of free agency and the way that he elects to spend and you know you you, you talk about the money and and you know, one thing that that we haven't talked about is the fact that 
know, the salary cap is going up. So they have that much more, you know, to spend. What is it, another $30 million per team? I mean, it's skyrocketed compared to what everybody around the league was expecting. And so the Patriots have that much more money. It just kind of comes back to this is where I get a little sort of frustrated with, you know, like listening to people and and like the bitching and moaning about all oh, the Patriots don't spend. Look, they they spent more than anybody else in the NFL. What was it? Two off seasons ago, three off seasons ago when they went on 21. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they had that absurd spending spree. The problem is, generally speaking, they spent poorly. Again, it comes back to talent evaluation like John o. Smith they gave a gigantic contract to he is now going on his third team since after being cut loose by the Falcons you know Hunter Henry who I don't think he really lived up to his contract you know he, he scored a bunch of touchdowns but he certainly wasn't the you know what they expected him to be I mean they they handed out the most money to the top two tight ends that were on the market and brought those guys in and dramatic underachievement I mean Nelson Aguilar disaster you know, so many guys, you know, Matt Judon is pretty much the only one of the only guys that really worked right out of that free. Agent him and, I would say Bourne, him and Bourne. Yeah. And Bourne's Bourne, contract I'll, was fair. Yeah, I'll give you Bourne. But, you know, most others didn't. And so, yeah. you know, now, obviously, here you are again and in pretty much the exact same situation where you've got all this money to spend. you got a roster that needs all sorts of talent. You need a quarterback. And how are they going to spend it? Because they. They're not going to be limited financially. They can do whatever it is within reason. I mean, just like that offseason where they could overspend to get certain guys here that they really liked. They can do that again. The question is, are the right people in place? You know, Wolf in particular, obviously, he, you know, coming out and saying, like, I'm the final say guy. You know, are are they equipped to make those proper decisions to bring in the right people? You know, so time will tell on that, obviously. And... On top of that is, you know, is I, I just kind of come back to how, you know, like, what is this going to look like? What are they prioritizing or, you know, how, how are they looking at it all to to bring it together? And it's it's going to be really fascinating to see. But there's there's nothing that limits them financially at this point in time. They they have it all. They can go out. They can do it. Um, you know, but they need to obviously evaluate some of these other things along the way and, and hope that there isn't a, you know, I think a lot of the what what you've termed and what others have termed a smear campaign is, you know, trying to distance themselves from Bill and this regime and how things have gone poorly and this survey and all of that. But are you doing it to do it? Are you doing it to crap on Bill? Are you doing it to, you know, send a message to free agents and potential trade acquisitions, you know, through the media that, hey, we're going to be different. You want to come play for us because, you know, between Bill and history and the way things have trended and this survey that we talked about, you're going to have to work a little harder. You're going to have to pay a little bit more to get top free agents in here. And so, you know, right. it's going to be really fascinating how that plays out. Yeah, it's a great point because it used to be an easy sell. Hey, um, you're going to play with the Brady guy. And you know what? You're going to play in the AFC championship game because we've been going for like eight consecutive years. So basically, your right. season comes down. You have a chance to get a ring. Like, that's why Chris Long came here. He came yeah. here and, and, and it wasn't less, even. The, by the way. Yeah, it wasn't even the right system for him to play in. Right. Like it did for his the way that he played. It was a different system than he was going to thrive in. And like guys like Danny Amendola, I mean, well, famously, like in one of the trailers for the dynasty, he said, we worked for Bill. We played for Tom. Amendola continually took less. And 
to be fair on that one, he well, wasn't that's, the player. That's why that he he's thought. continually dumping on Bill. Yeah. Because he got his salary cut each and every year. Yeah. But to be fair on that one, they thought that Amendola was going to be what Edelman turned out to be, like sort of the yeah. Welker replacement. But two things thinking about what you said, the 2021 comparison is a great one because here's the problem is if you just had that offseason where, say, hypothetically, it was Judon, it was Hunter Henry, and it was Kendrick Bourne, you'd say, okay, that's not a bad offseason to sort of fill in some pieces. But you had so much money because you know what you weren't doing? Extending your own guys because you weren't hitting in the draft, right? So that's why. It's not just Kendrick Bourne, it's Kendrick Bourne and Aguilar. It's not just Hunter Henry, it's Hunter Henry and it's Jonu Smith. So you have to fill all these different needs in free agency because of the fact that you haven't been hitting on the draft. So that's the issue. You want to go out in free agency to supplement your roster. The problem for the Patriots then is they had to go out and get all these upgrades because the roster wasn't good. The other thing that I was thinking about is... Just real quick, to that point, yeah. maybe back me up on this because I'd have to look up the stat. I feel like I heard something the other day, like the... The last player, high round pick, not necessarily first round, but let's say top three rounds, the last high round pick that the Patriots had that actually got a second contract, that got signed beyond his rookie contract, wasn't it like Deron Harmon? Like they, I mean, it's it's been a while. I mean, this this team, it I mean, it's one thing to say they need to hit on the draft. I mean, this team annually misses in the draft. I mean, to a remarkably frustrating and obviously organizationally deteriorating degree yeah well i think when you look at first rounders you'd probably have to go all the way back to dante hightower in terms of first round guys they extended right because gronk obviously is a second round pick i'm trying to think who did they take in the first round uh, the year oh devin mccourty right so maybe it would have been devin Devin mccourty wasn't devin mccourty the same draft as gronk i'm trying to think off the top yeah because i think they drafted mccourty gronk Aaron Hernandez all in the same draft. So I think you would have to go back to that point in time to look at when the last time they extended one of those guys. Yeah, and, and Harmon, if, if Harmon was even right, if I'm right about that, he was the 2013 draft. So obviously those guys you're talking about were before that. Yeah, they were the 2012 draft because he had a nice stretch there where it went cold for a while after Bill started really well with some of the draft picks he had, the Matt Lights of the world, like the mm -hmm. Vince Wilforks of the world in 04. And then it sort of dipped off. Now, Logan Mankins in 05, we can go through like he had some really nice hits early on. And then they really did recover at basically from 2010 to about 2013, 2014. They had some good drafts in there where they had Dante Hightower. They had Chandler Jones. They had Gronk, as I mentioned. They had McCourty. They had James White after that. Like they had some guys yeah, that you, would be. You know who else they had? They had Ernie Adams. They had Nick Casario. Yes. You know what? Like once it was just up to Bill. That's when everything went to shit, if I can say that here. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. You can swear on this pod. Good. We're, we're swear friendly. I get curse friendly. Although my mother, when she listens to the pod, she says, Brian, I don't think you have to swear. I'm like, all right. So I'll try to swear less. But anyway, yeah. yeah so and just getting back to that point is just I feel like if if you're just supplementing and getting a couple of pieces to add, it's fine in free agency. But when you have all this money, usually it either means you're a very young team or you haven't drafted well. In the case of the Patriots, it's. They hadn't drafted well. And the other thing that I was just thinking here as we're talking about this, and I'm not defending this ownership group because I defended them for years and then they've completely lost my trust, the Red Sox. Can you imagine that the survey came out for the Red Sox like this and we found out for 10 years they were last in cash spending? The reaction to John Henry would just be unbelievable. And look, they deserve we all the criticism. They don't spend, though, and that's in a sport yeah. with no salary cap. 
Right, but I'm saying to be dead last, imagine if the Red Sox were dead last and, and they had a report yeah. card like this compared to the Patriots. I just think, and, and like I said, I'm not defending John Henry. Please go sign John. Please go sign Jordan Montgomery, John. Please, that's, that's also, all we're looking for. Also, please sell the team. That would be nice, too. At this point, I mean, you got all these other teams you're concerned about. That would be nice, too. Although but speaking Kennedy of, did emphatically come out and say that's not happening. <laughs> love it or hate yeah, it. Yeah, but... Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, love it or hate it. That's a great thing to say. He is so bad talking to the media. It's, it's unbelievable to me. He's been he's like, been what? thrust into a role that he shouldn't be in is the bottom line. I like Sam. He's a good guy, but he's he's not the one who should be the mouthpiece for this disaster. But that's a whole yeah, other Him and Tom Warner have both come out and said things that they've later had to. Warner didn't apologize. He tried to re-explain it, the full throttle thing. And yeah. Sam Kennedy legitimately had to apologize to the comment he said about like, basically when he went after the fans. But I did want to get to now, if you look at this, the third pick, I've heard this narrative now. I heard Dan Orlovsky say it on ESPN. A couple of other analysts have said the Patriots shouldn't draft a quarterback because they're not ready to draft one. I don't really subscribe to that theory because you, if the quarterback's there and you think he's a franchise-level quarterback, you take him no matter what the roster looks like, right? To Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars thought the same thing a couple of years ago. And their roster wasn't ready to compete. And two years later, they were competing, right? And I'm not saying like, Whoever this quarterback is going to be is going to be Trevor Lawrence or anything along those lines, and I don't even well, think. Also, Trevor Lawrence what is what great. team drafting in the top five of the draft that needs a quarterback is ready to compete? That's why right. you so need like a quarterback. Yeah, so Washington's so much better to compete than the Patriots right now. I completely agree with you. I'm just saying, like people have pointed that out, but for me, I think they need to take a quarterback in the top three, and I do wonder, like, if how the Patriots board is sort of going to grade out because we had this report yesterday on. Wednesday that essentially Bill Belichick really liked Jaden Daniels. I don't know if that's true or not, but I would be comfortable with Jaden Daniels or Drake May. And now it seems like there's some momentum from Washington to take Jan, uh, Jaden Daniels with the number two spot. I like the idea of both Drake May or Jaden Daniels. And if you, I mean, Drake May's one of these guys that can make all the throws. He can move. He, he can throw on the move. I think he's more athletic than sort of because... Jaden Daniels is so athletic that nobody's going to match his athleticism like at the quarterback position in the draft. But if you go back and watch some of Drake May's runs, they're ridiculous. Like he's a better runner than Caleb Williams is. So I'd be cool with either one of those guys. And then if you come back, like Elliot Wolf, one of the things they did in Green Bay, they nailed second round receivers, right? If Keon Coleman from Florida State somehow dropped to the second round or somebody like Worthy or... Mitchell at Texas, one of those two guys, is probably going to go really early in the second round. Now, obviously, they need other positions to tackle and whatnot. But the thing that stuck out to me about what Elliot Wolf said, he said, weaponize the offense. So I'm thinking right. either via free agency or in the draft, they're going to go after a top tier weapon as well. Like to me, if they drafted Drake May or Jaden Daniels, number three, and then they got a receiver at the top end of the second round, or even if they traded back in and got one, I would be fired up. That's sort of the plan that I want is... Hey, if you're going to, if this is a long-term rebuild, like Elliot Wolf is basically talking about, and I mean, he didn't say exactly long-term rebuild, but he said that basically this isn't a quick fix to paraphrase what he's saying. That's the type of stuff I'm going after if I'm the Patriots. I want a receiver to go along. We've seen this all the time where recently we've seen teams draft young receivers to go with their young quarterbacks. When the Bengals drafted Burrow, they also drafted T. Higgins in the second round, and then they drafted... Jamar Chase. We saw mm -hmm. with Tua, they drafted 
Jalen Waddell, and then they went out and they, of course, traded for Tyreek Hill. So this is sort of something we've seen across the league is getting a young receiver to go with your young quarterback. So I'm I'm going to circle back, but I, I, I want to make a Celtics comparison here to all the way back in the, you know, early on in the Brad Stevens regime. And I'm, I'm talking about Brad, the head coach, not Brad, the president of basketball operations. And, and remember, you know, this is they have all these Nets draft picks and, you know, we're coming up on the Marcus Smart draft and and they've got the sixth pick. And, and at that point in time, you know, you were probably the same. I'm doing this whole bunch of other people. Definitely people across the media are doing this. You know, I'm breaking down every guy and who do I want? Whose strengths do I like? Whose weaknesses do I not like? Who's the best fit? Who's going to be available? You know, like I, I passionately just for comparison's sake, you know, wanted Julius Randall with, with that pick, you know, not, not Marcus smart. I thought smart was the wrong idea based on what the roster looked like at the time. You still had Rajon Rondo and blah, blah, blah. And then obviously, you know, you, you have the, the couple number three picks. I mean, the three that was Jalen Brown, we're talking about Dragon Bender and all these guys that are in that draft and and Buddy you know, Healed, Chris Dunn, yeah, Buddy Healed, and yeah, like I mean, all these guys. It's like who makes sense, you know, for the Celtics. And then obviously Tatum, they've got the number one pick. Oh my God, they trade back to three. But you know, how do you pass on Markel Fultz and and Lonzo Ball? And obviously, you know, they get Tatum, who you know should have been number one anyway. But but it's all kind of revisionist history. And so what those drafts ultimately kind of taught me as as a you know about myself is that I can fall in love with this guy or that guy or not like this guy or that guy the bottom line is it was true for Danny Ainge then it's true obviously for you know Elliot Wolf and company right now you just got to get it right you know what whatever you decide to do you need to get it right you know whether it's taking a QB whether it's taking Marvin Harrison Jr whether it's trading down and accumulating more picks you know the the true Bill Belichick way whatever you do you just need to get it right and know that you know whatever it is some segment of fans aren't going to like it are going to push back are going to say it's dumb are going to say you got the wrong guy and we're just not going to know for for three, four years, more than likely. I mean, there were plenty of people, including myself, that were excited about Mac Jones at number 15. You know, yeah, he was the fifth QB taken, you know, I but I was more excited about him, you know, at the time than I would have been about, you know, Zach Wilson or Trey Lance, truly the guy that I wanted. I wanted them to move up a few spots and get Justin Fields. Obviously, he's another guy that looks like he's he's going to have a new home pretty soon here because the Bears yeah. are right back at the top of the draft and and likely going to take Caleb Williams. So we'll see how it all plays out. But you just you need to get it right. And so, you know, with with what we have on the board right now, I think there are multiple things that you need to consider. One, historically speaking. And it's just a fact. You know, we, we can get excited about Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, you know, to a lesser degree, much lesser in my mind. You know, J.J. McCarthy, there's Bo Nix, there's Penix, there's all these guys. But more than half and, and the majority are, one, not going to be any good. You know, two, are, are going to flame out and not be like for every... Peyton Manning, there's a Ryan Leaf, right? For every, like, Drew Bledsoe, there's a, a, a Keith Meyer. For, you know, more recently, Trevor Lawrence, who's not even elite, by the way. He's not the second coming of Peyton Manning, like everybody said. But for every Trevor Lawrence, there's Zach Wilson at two. For every, you know, last year, there's, for every Bryce Young, there's C.J. Stroud. Like, this is just how it goes. So, you know, odds are, like, if the QBs go one, two, three, boom, 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 two out of the three are probably going to suck. 
you know, in, in the long term or or be very average anyway. And maybe one will be that star, that star, that superstar. And so, you know, I I would push back. Like you said, I think they need to take a QB at, at three. I would say I I want them to take a QB at three, but I don't think you have to. I think if if we're trusting an Elliott Wolf mm. and company and they're looking at it and saying, you know, we don't like we we just don't love any of these guys. You know, we we think we can do better then we have to, you know, for we just have no choice but to trust in that, because I certainly don't know better than Elliot Wolf. And I'm not sure Elliot Wolf knows. But but that's just because all of this, as you know, is a dart throw. It's a crapshoot like nobody knows what this is going to look like in the NFL until it actually plays out. Otherwise, like redrafts wouldn't be a thing. You know, it wouldn't be such an obsession among people. You know, my plan on on my show that I've been talking about for, you know, since midway through the college football season was if you have a high round pick, I would or, or you know in in the first round a high a high pick, I would love them love to see them take Marvin Harrison Jr. and then either trade up into the back of the first round, take the QB or take the QB in round two. Whether that's Bo Nix, Michael Penix, whoever ends up being there at the time, and and maybe that's your battery, you know, so to speak, and and that's what you're building, and and I could get excited about that. And I still feel that way because unlike these QBs where I think there's just a giant mystery, I think that Harrison is a can't-miss talent. You know, I, I realize it could look a little rocky in year one depending on who's throwing him the ball. And maybe you bring in a a vet, a, a Baker Mayfield, Jacoby Brissett, or, you know, one of these other guys that comes in as a, a bridge to the next guy. Maybe that happens. And, you know, we could talk about that if you want. But I, I think that, you know, I... You got to load up on talent. You need to, as you mentioned, weaponize this offense. And that means more talent, be it in the draft or in free agency. I mean, this team has been so offensively mediocre for a number of years now. And people want to point to Mac Jones. That's not all Mac. It was an archaic offense that they were running. It was a lack of talent around Mac, a lack of protection on the line. And again, Mac, who, you know, regressed as he, you know, he was a, by default, a pro bowler in year one. And the thing that everyone loved about him when he was drafted was, you know, it wasn't this like elite athleticism. It was that he was a smart player, you know, good, high IQ, fundamental, doesn't make many mistakes, protects the football, you know, accurate, all of these things that proved out in year one that only got worse as time went on to where, you know, his, his confidence was destroyed. So you need to bring in a guy, obviously, that, you know, all of it around everywhere. You you just need to reload, which is why as frustrating as it would be sitting there watching the draft when you have the number three pick and watching them like trade down to seven and accumulating a whole bunch more draft picks, it would be so annoying. But at the same time, they need to reload. They they need to draft well, as we've talked about, and they need to drastically improve this roster. Yeah, so uh, 2021 draft is a good example is a good example because remember we're all talking about this is this great quarterback draft and really Trevor Lawrence is the only guy that's still going to be starting for his team next year the rest of the guys are going to be gone right Max going to be gone Trey Lance yeah. is already gone and we Zach talked about Wilson. that as a stacked quarterback draft right so it's it's crazy to think back to how many of those guys were actually misses and we don't even know Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback but he's not like a top five guy maybe eventually he gets there but he's certainly not there right now the one issue I'd have with not taking the quarterback at number three is now the Patriots would have to be in a position where, and obviously they're going into this with all this scouting and whatnot, more scouting than I have, but you have to look at next year's class two and be like, hey, do we like Shador Sanders? And Shador Sanders could go number one. 
Quinn Ewers. Well, are we going to be in the top three? So I feel like it's sort of like an opportunity thing here. The one th- the one exception I would have is, okay, if they're sitting there at three, and I, like I said, I like both of them. I like May a lot, and I really like Jaden Daniels. If they say don't like May or don't like Daniels, and that's the quarterback left for them at number three, then I think, okay, that makes sense for them not to take the quarterback. Now, like I said, if it were me, I would take either one because I like both of those guys, but I think that's going to be the interesting component. I do think Elliot Wolf at the combine when he mentioned the fact that what you said about most quarterbacks they come in the first round I do think he's going to pull the trigger there at number three and take a quarterback but it's going to be fascinating to see what the Patriots do and right now on FanDuel I was just looking at this as you were talking there both Drake May and Jaden Daniels are plus 170 to go third so there's been some momentum in the direction for Jaden Daniels to sort of move up to that number two spot it's crazy to me like this whole time going back to last offseason It was Caleb Williams and Drake May, and now Jaden Daniels has sort of got into the conversation. So the draft's going to be fascinating. I did want to pivot to the Celtics, Kaufman, because obviously you're big on the Celts like me. And I'm just wondering, and maybe... By the way, I was just looking up that that Bledsoe draft. I was like, did I say Keith Meyer? Rick Meyer. Rick Meyer. Which proves how irrelevant these guys are who flame out. He was the number two pick, and who remembers his name? But sorry, go on. Uh, it's, It's crazy. And by the way, Drew in the dynasty... I felt so bad for him during that whole docu- documentary when he was in it. Like, man, that injury. I was just a kid when it happened, but that injury, yeah. my word, like that, I that was remember. such a severe injury. And then to lose yeah. your job, not he, once, but twice. Yeah, yeah, seriously, he really did. But to lose your job, not once, but twice and go through that injury in the same year. It's just amazing. Like that, the, that he was able to encourage Brady on that final drive against the Rams. No, go for it, man. Like, I know, we I know we haven't like picked apart the dynasty and stuff because I, I think overall it has been entertaining. I, I think there have been a lot of problems with it as well, especially the last couple episodes. The first two I thought were fantastic. Three and four, not as much, uh, you know, and, and as as we sit here and talk right now, five and six will come out later tonight. But the uh, like, I mean, you spend so much time on that, the Bledsoe injury and a hundred million dollar contract and face of the franchise and the rebuild the super bowl they got to and lost the super bowl that he helped them get to with the you know the win in the afc title game against pittsburgh they didn't even mention the fact that after that offseason you know or, or into that offseason they traded him away like it, it literally wasn't even mentioned it was just like oh drew disappeared oh by the way they won two more super bowls let's spend 90 seconds on that so we can rush to you know Spygate. like it's i mean it's it's a documentary you've got as long as you want like, give us more time and, and delve into these things. Well, so I had the, I've had the director on Matt Hamachek weekly recapping the episodes. And oh, nice. so I asked him about that, about like the 03 to 04 that they didn't like a lot of Patriots fans are wondering why that winning streak wasn't covered. Or I asked him about like the Manning Brady rivalry. Like we didn't really go through that too much. And obviously Manning versus Belichick too. remember, like that was the mm-hmm. whole thing. Manning couldn't beat Bill. That's why it was such a big deal in 2006. But one of the things he said is just in terms of they have so much stuff like that they have to figure out how it all works in terms of the storyline. Like going back to that, they he told us that they had a ton. They could have done a whole episode on Teddy Bruschi's stroke with sure. him and his wife. So they it's just it's really difficult to put it all together. That's why for us like Patriots fans, I think 03, 04 covering that would have been cool for us. But I also think you have to think about this isn't just for Patriots fans, right? Like this is for the fan in a different part of the country that's watching this. And I feel like going. You don't need to give 0304 a whole episode. Give it five minutes. 
But, no, that's fair. But I just think like to me, it's more compelling to go from, okay, this is how they reached the top and then go into, okay, this is 07. Here's the controversy. And that's why I just think I, I do understand why they did it that way. I, I know Patriots fans are like upset about it, but I do. I, I didn't have a problem with the way they did it. I knew people were going to be mad about it when it came out and there wasn't much on the 03 and the 04 thing, but I didn't, I, I actually, I thought they made the right decision when it comes to that. And we'll see, like, I don't want to get into too many of the episodes that are, haven't come out yet. I wonder what Patriots fans are going to think about the rest of the documentary, because I think that it's, it gets juicier and juicier as we go on, right? Because then there becomes more and more controversy, different controversies, controversies throughout the dynasty. So Have you already I think seen them that all the way through? I've seen them. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I've seen the whole thing and it gets juicier and ju- like the, there, the next, one of the next two episodes is going to be very difficult for Patriots fans to watch. I'll say that. And I think you can, well, it's the Hernandez episode is coming, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. That episode. And I'm not giving too much away. I'm not giving any details, but it's chilling. I'll say that yeah. it's and there's a couple of guys in that episode that I didn't think would be in the documentary, which I guess that's a surprise too, just because of their relationship with Hernandez. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. All right, and I'm looking at a same-game parlay for the Celts and the Mavericks coming up on Friday night. Tatum, 25 points. Tatum, 8 rebounds. Porzingis, 20 points. Porzingis, 2 made threes. And Kyrie, 20 points. That is five legs for you. That's 150 bucks back if your bet doesn't win. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus in presidents like states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com slash RG. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, so I want to transition to the Celtics for a second because I think the ultimate answer is... I'm trying to figure out when Missoula is going to get credit for anything with the Celtics team, right? Because I had certainly had my issues with Joe in the postseason last year. And I think ultimately that's where he's going to have to prove himself because he made some odd decisions in the Atlanta series with the rotation. Grant's out of the rotation, Hauser's in, then Grant's Mm -hmm. in, and then Hauser's out. I always go back to game one against Miami when he had Pritchard on the floor when Butler was out there, which is like, this is Jimmy Butler. He knows what he's going to do. He's going to call up the defender and get Pritchard switched on him. So he certainly had some issues in the postseason. But I'm also sympathetic looking back now to the fact that he got put in this position. He didn't have his own coaching staff, right? He took over Ime's coaching staff, and he basically jumped over all these guys, right? All the guys in the staff. It's like, hey, uh, the guy that was in the second row is now the head coach. That's a very difficult position, right? And then the whole Marcus Smart thing, that was bizarre, right? Because Marcus Smart was sort of the first guy in this new Celtics regime, if you will, going back to the draft that you referenced, where they took him right around where Julius Randle went. And then, so he was closing out games instead of Derek White. And now we've seen Derek White is one of the best fourth quarter players in the NBA. And I was screaming about it all last year. And I think what the Celtics thought at the time, people within that organization, I think they thought, Let's not fight this battle right now during the regular season with Smart, right? Because this could be a major issue with the team because he's considered to be the leader of the team. Let's wait till the postseason. And because remember the year before, Ime even had to point out that Marcus was such a great teammate. Remember that one game in the playoffs, Marcus wasn't closing it out. Ime comes out and publicly says that. So I think that was 
part is one of the difficult things that Joe was dealing with last year is big personalities and mm-hmm. him taking over and leaping over all these coaches. But I just look at some of the things they do in terms of he always mentions the margins. So if you look at their numbers on the season, they are outscoring teams by 8.7 points per game at the three-point line. This is something that people criticize Joe for the threes. We saw the other night when they had to go to the basket, they had to get to the free throw line. They did it when basically you had an opponent in Philly that's like, hey, we're taking away the three. They did that. If you look at the free throws, they're 17th and made free throws per game, which is not a high number, but they're outscoring their opponent by 3.3 points at the free throw line because they give up the fewest free throws in the NBA. You look at fast break points, they're up a point and a half. Second chance points, they're up 1.1. The only number you look in the margins, the paint, they're being outscored by, guess what, half a point. So even if you want to critique like, hey, they need to get to the basketball, they need to get to the free throw line more, they're still outscoring their opponents in those areas. And I do think the interesting question is going to be, when you get into the postseason, the clutch offense, right? Because most of the time the Celtics are blowing teams out. The one thing that you can look at and maybe critique with this team this year is close games against good competition, whether it was the Denver game, the OKC game, the overtime game against Minnesota, right? Like those type of games where you're playing good teams and you blow games late. That's the thing that I think you would look at because here's the thing, Kaufman. There are going to be games in the postseason where the Celtics are matched up against a team that they're better than and they win two of the first three games by 10 or more points. But then that one game in between, that to me is going to be the difference with this team. Can they finish and execute late in these games? And here's the thing about this team this year. There's no reason they can't. They have everything at their disposal now because of what Porzingis brings, because of what Derek White can do in the pick and roll game. It's all going to be about do they make the right plays late? And that's, to me, the most compelling question. And really, I don't think Joe can answer any of those questions until he gets into the postseason. No, this has been the the most common conversation that we've had on my podcast about the Celtics on a week-to-week basis, and we've talked about it with you when you've been on, is the fact that there is just nothing at this point in time that this team can show us, prove, do, justify, whatever, until the spring and summer. You know, it's all of this is fun, it's entertaining, it's a good watch, you know, it's, it's you know, I would say... Uh, really inspires confidence on on given nights. The fact that, you know, take this most recent game, for instance, against the Sixers. And I realize, a, you know, a Sixers team without Joel Embiid, obviously, but you watch that game, it's close, much closer than, than people expected it to be. The threes aren't falling. The attempts are even barely there. They're having to attack in different ways, you talked about. And... Still, there was no point in time watching that game where it was like, man, the, even even a two-point game in the third quarter where Celtics might lose this game. No, it's they'll get there. They'll figure it out. It'll it'll be fine. And sure enough, they win it by basically 20. It's a blowout. They, you know, they they win going away. A couple of years ago, not even necessarily last year, but definitely a couple of years ago, when they got to the finals, by the way, against the Warriors, there were so many instances during that season, that was the Eme year, where you looked at it and said, this is this is a game that they're going to blow. This is a game where it's going to fall apart. And we just have fewer and fewer of those now as time moves along as, you know, Tatum and Brown obviously mature and it's it's clearly their team, their stars, they're all stars, you know, they're all NBA players, uh, 
you know, a, a superstar in in Jason Tatum, a consensus top five guy, maybe top three, definitely someone who he's not the MVP. He's not, but you know, he'll get votes. He'll he'll get some recognition there. And these guys just understand now more than ever the bigger picture. I mean, you think back to that Jalen Brown Taylor Rooks interview that he did back in what 2017 when you know she asked him yeah. like how how many titles you you gonna win in the next six years? And he's like, ah, five, five out of the next six. Well, how's that going? <laughs> so far, zero. You know, they've they've learned how tough this is. You know, they they're good, they're great annually, you know, during the regular season, go on deep playoff runs. I mean, there is no lack of experience on this roster, obviously, at this point in time. And you bring in some really important pieces, you know, Holiday, who is a championship winning player, who just I didn't like, you know, I I, I really I was I really questioned deeply the offseason moves preceding the holiday edition. Because I, I just thought you were you were thin in the front court. You had questions health wise in the back court. You know, I, I didn't love the Porzingis acquisition specifically for Smart. I would have viewed it a different way if it had been for Brogdon, as you know, originally outlined. But you know, losing Marcus, and yeah, there are certain aspects of the Marcus Smart tenure that were not perfect. That you know, I, I understand people being ready to to move on from. But he also does a lot of things that you know, not to do the whole like winning plays thing. But he he does a lot of things that do help you win games that I wondered how they were going to replace. And then insert Drew Holiday, who is literally the the dictionary definition perfect replacement. I mean, he does everything that Marcus does, and quite frankly, many of those things better. And he's won a championship. He's a perfect teammate. He's, you know, there's everyone's excited. And Porzingis, you know, and and I'm sure you've spent a lot of time on this. He comes in in a role that is just so right for him at this stage of his career where he's not the guy he can be on a given night many nights he has been but he doesn't have the pressure of having to be that guy he's not the number one that he was in new york or the you know one b that he was in in dallas or to a certain degree in washington he can come here and he's a, a clear you know He's absolutely behind Tatum. He's often behind Brown. He's occasionally behind Holiday or White. He doesn't need to be the guy that goes out and scores 20-plus. Now, does he average that? Sure, but he doesn't have to. He can score 14 points and be incredibly impactful on both sides of the ball. And so just the understanding of roles, the makeup, the depth, the, you know, the, the, going back to Joe, the rotations, like it's, it's just, it's all working. It's all been great. They're eight games up in in the east they're going to be the one seed there's not going to be any sort of like chicken and beer like collapse here like this is it's done they're going to be the one and and there are you know joe was asked about it by abby chin post game like what what does that mean to you he said it doesn't matter and and that is the right mentality because it doesn't matter they're not hanging banners for being you know up eight games in the east on march 1st or or whatever they're gonna sit at in a, in a day or two it's it's about you know the advantage there is and he knows this is obviously being able to, you know, potentially rest guys down the stretch and be as healthy as humanly possible going into the playoffs when you need, you know, you, you can manage minutes and everything like that as as we inch closer to that because you're not fighting for seeding. But even if they had to, you know, I, I don't think they would be because they've learned over time that that's not the most important thing. It's It's not setting up a certain matchup as much as we'd all like to avoid Miami. It's not, you know, about... Uh, you know, making sure that that you're a certain seed. It's just getting in there healthy, rested, ready, refreshed, all of it. And and I think they will be. And so, yeah, Joe is not getting enough credit, to your point. 
And uh, I, I just think this this mix is great, but we've we've elevated at this point in time to where it's it's title or bust. You know, it's anything less than a championship. And I know some people don't like the, you know, they, they think it's more nuanced than this. I just I disagree at a certain point. Anything less than a championship for this group is a failure now. It's it that wasn't the case necessarily last year. It certainly wasn't the year before. Now it is. This team is definitively top to bottom the best team in the NBA. Now, obviously, that projects health in April going into the playoffs, which we can't predict sitting here now. But if they are then, you know, what they are now, roster-wise, then there's no excuse. Yeah, and you mentioned the Heat there. It's interesting to me. They're going to play the Nuggets. As we're recording. It's now 1 o'clock on Thursday. They are playing. They have a rematch, the Heat do, against the Nuggets in Denver, of course, of the finals. They've won five straight before that game. They go into Sacramento. And they don't have Jimmy Butler, they don't have Tyler Hero, and they beat the Kings. I've said on multiple occasions, the Kings are the biggest frauds in the NBA. I mean, they've barely outscored teams with Sabonis on the court, and they've been terrible defensively. But anyway, getting back to my original point, is that Heat team, the reason Porzingis is here is because of Bam, right? Because Bam could screw up your offense because he can cover everybody on the team. So now the Celtics say, hey, when we play the Heat, it's almost like they want to show off Porzingis. Let's hit this button and give Porzingis the ball, you cannot switch off him. Like, Bam has to cover Porzingis, which makes your offense more devastating. I still, I would not be looking forward to a series against Spolstra, Butler, and Bam, but that certainly is the reason that Porzingis is here. And then I think the interesting thing you mentioned with Drew, so I did this whole thing the other day on my pod about Drew's offense and the spot-up game, how his offense has completely changed with the Celtics, and I give him a ton of credit for that because he's just doing whatever basically the team needs. But the other reason I give... Drew credit, and I give Missoula credit, is they get this, un the Celtics get this unbelievable defender in Drew Holiday, one of the best defenders of his generation, especially at the guard position. And they're not just like playing him traditionally. They're like, you know what? Let's try some shit out. So this 2-1-2 two, 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 two zone, which I think a large reason they use that is when it's a lot of times it's when Cornette's in the game. So they have mm. Drew in the middle of this thing, and I don't think it has worked that well. And there's been a lot of games where it's like, the Nets game a couple of weeks ago, they hit three straight threes against it, right? But I appreciate the fact that they're like, hey, let's try this out with Drew. Hey, um, Embiid, you cover Embiid. Oh, Giannis is playing? Let's let's have you on Giannis. Oh, Anthony Davis? Let's put you on Anthony Davis. So I like the fact that throughout the season, they're sort of experimenting with different things with Drew because he can do so many different things. And it's just like if you just focus on the defensive end and watch some of the stuff that Drew Holiday and Derek White do, it's 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 like borderline amazing. Like, they'll have possessions where Porzingis, like Porzingis defender will go up and screen. I know this isn't like a concept that not other teams use, but they'll pre-switch it so quick where they'll pick it up. And basically, now Porzingis understands what they're doing. He'll push up like Jalen or he'll push up Drew Holiday, Derek White, and that guy will just go. And they'll be like, oh, we're trying to run a pick and roll because maybe Porzingis is going to be in a drop. Maybe we can walk into an open jump shot. And the Celtics are like, no, fuck that. We're, we're just going to send our defender right now. And they're doing this in the regular season. Like, they're already planning for what's going to happen in the postseason. So I think they deserve a lot. Like, their defense sort of goes under the radar, right? Because it's like, mm -hmm. well, hey, their offense is so good. But you look at their defensive numbers. They're off the charts there. They're the number two defense now. But their opponent shot profile, they give up the third fewest shots at the rim by percentage, fourth highest long mid-rangers, the 10th highest short mid-rangers, fifth lowest corner threes, and then the second highest non-corner threes. So basically, the reason the, the non-corner threes are so high, they're giving those to bad shooters. They're not saying... 
they're not giving those to Steph Curry. They don't want Steph Curry taking all those shots, but they're like, hey, you got this guy that shoots 35, 36%. Go ahead, try try to keep shooting those. And then they give up, the, as I mentioned earlier, the fewest free throw attempts. So to me, like the offensive stuff is going to be a big question in the postseason. But I've been, I think that this team could actually be better than any of the recent teams they've had defensively. And I question that just because of what Rob could do and, I know like the health has always been a question with Rob, but he made this team so versatile defensively when they put him in that mm-hmm. Roma role. Now I feel like they're even more versatile for what they've been able to do. And then when Hauser comes on the court, everybody's like, hey, let's go at Hauser. And it's like, he's really not that bad of a defender. Mm-hmm. And he's also six foot eight. So go ahead. Like if you want to, if you want to basically say, we're not going to run our offense and we're going to go after Hauser, be my guest. Go do that because we're going to have help loaded up for him. Yeah, people still talk about Sam Hauser like he's like Duncan Robinson, like a turnstile defensively. He's not. He can he can hold or his Kemba. Own. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just it's it's system defense to a certain degree, and and obviously there are a, a number of you know elite defensive players, whether it's Tatum, Brown, White, Holiday, as you mentioned, obviously, and and Porzingis certainly can can hold his own uh, and and is you know a, a solid rim protector and all of that, but. You know, the, and and Horford, you know, is still doing it at uh, at an advanced basketball age. But these guys, you know, it's they're individually incredibly talented defensively, but as a team, to your point, in in just a, in the bigger picture, they are elite. And this is a team that is consistently in the top three defensively uh, in in the NBA for for many many years, going back to you know Ime and Brad before that. I mean, this is it doesn't matter almost what the roster looks like, the scheme. While it's evolved, they just continue to get the job done on that side of the floor. I'm I'm more curious, and I, I think a lot of people are, about the offense. I just have this expectation that the defense is going to be there. The offense, while I, you know, to a, a lesser degree, but but similarly expect it's going to be there, it's more about the how. How are they going to attack? And that's why it's it's kind of funny to me. You know, I I remember you and I talking about this. I don't remember if it was my show, your show, but we we had a conversation over the summer after they made these moves, after Porzingis in particular. It might have even been before Holiday. And attempting to dissect, all right, you know, how can this team hurt you offensively? You know, how, how can it go after you? And talking about all the different ways, you know, how it doesn't have to be live by the three, die by the three, as it's been in recent years. They they have that versatility, especially with Porzingis. They can do so many different things that they couldn't do before. They can attack the rim with reliability. They can have these games that look in large part the way this most recent one did against Philly. And yet, because it very rarely happens, because they are an elite three-point shooting team and and like to put up the 40-50 attempts and you know, make a good percentage of those and and therefore like that's it's it's how they play, it's how they win. People forget until they actually see it, be it for stretches or again with Philly the entire game, that this is what they can do. And it I, I think like I wasn't at all surprised by you know the fact that they they could go out in there and, and do it successfully because we've spent so much time talking about it. But that's that's what kind of was maddening I guess for me to a certain degree was listening to a lot of the post-game coverage or, or covered since people just like in awe and like oh my god like how, who knew they could do this and and why don't we ever see it and why don't yeah. are they 
is this a one game thing or they can they actually replicate it can they do it again what happens when the next team tries to take away the three pointer can can they do the same you know have the have the same effectiveness on the inside and paint points and all of that and getting all these rebounds and and everything they did so successfully and i would say yeah like where have you been i mean look at look at this roster look at stretches of games when they have to do it it's not always just about hoisting three pointers yeah it's a big part of their game it's a big part of today's nba but I wouldn't just assume, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I wouldn't just assume that every team out there can take away the the three pointer the way that Philly did, you know, for for forty eight minutes. I, I think that a lot of teams are going to have the difficulty, you know, having that reliable perimeter defense and doing it for one. And then secondly, it's one thing to do it for a game; it's another to do it over the course of a seven game series. And sure, there were issues last year, like you shouldn't have gone what was it six games with with the hawks you should you certainly shouldn't have gone seven yeah. games with the sixers you know you should have beat the heat that that wasn't a series that that should have gone seven games either i i still think you know they would have lost to the nuggets even if they did get to the finals but yeah, everything last year was harder than it had to be everything they made everything harder on themselves than it had to be and i just not that i'm calling for a a 16 and 0 playoff record this year or anything like that but I, I just don't think it's going to be this way. I think they've learned a lot of lessons along the way, you know, about what it takes at that stage of the year, about themselves, and about how this group, this new group, gels together. Well, and even if you go back to the Miami series they lost, Game 7, of course, Tatum twisted the ankle. Maybe that turns out differently if he didn't, because Tatum was the best player games 4, 5, through 6 of that series. And sure. to the free throw point, he, he had double-digit free throws in three of those games. So he's proven it in the past. And now you have Porzingis, which, oh, by the way, the Celtics are scoring the most post-up points per game in the entire NBA. But you're completely right on the three-point thing. Like, I was watching NBA Today on what would have been Wednesday, the day after the game, and Perk saying when they referenced the 37 free throws, he's like, finally, they have to do it. They're so athletic. They It's like, Perk, they have the number one offensive rating in the NBA. I think their method is pretty good, and they're going to adjust <laughs> to different games. Like, I, I just don't understand, like, the bashing over the threes. Like, taking threes are good. Phoenix, I'm not saying they would have won the championship if this were the case, but they hit the same amount of threes as the Bucks in the finals, but they took way less, and they ended up losing that series. They got brutally outscored at the three-point line because they didn't, or they tied, I should say, in terms of three-pointers made, but they didn't mm -hmm. take enough. If they took more threes, didn't take all those mid-rangers, they would have a better opportunity to win that series against Giannis and company. Maybe they lose anyway because Giannis is just going to the free throw line like crazy. But it's simple math at times. So the three-point thing, I'm totally over it. Not to mention the fact they generate the most open threes in the NBA. So yeah. they're not bad shots. And who's a bad shooter on the Celtics? They don't have any bad three-point shooters, right? So it makes sense to take those. But Anyway, I wanted to get to the Red Sox quickly. Well, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago either that, that we used to say, boy, the Celtics don't have a single good three-point shooter. It was like yeah. like Avery Bradley was their best three-point shooter. And now, or like, Jay Crowder. Or Jay Crowder. Now, I mean, yeah, they've. I'm not going to say they're the Warriors. Like, nobody's got Steph but but them. But, yeah, I mean, they're they're as good as, the, as it comes top to bottom. Yeah, the only ones, like, you, you don't like the ones where it's like, all right, let's dribble up the... Court and Jack went up, but they do that way right. less often than they have in the past. They're not trying to like chase down points that way. As long as like you're running good offense and the best shot, you get an open three, you have to take it. It's bad offense if you don't take an open three point shot. But so I want to get to the Red Sox quickly here. So I, I just looked at the AL, e, uh, AL East odds plus 1400, the Red Sox to win the division. 
Tampa has the second longest odds at plus 650. I mean, it's just crazy. That's how that's how the Red Sox are perceived right now. But their win total is 79 and a half. Now, yeah. the division is obviously stacked. You added Corbin Burns to the Orioles, Juan Soto to the Yankees. But the Red Sox did win 78 games last year. And if you go back and if you look at that season, I don't know the exact number if I was going to calculate it, but the Red Sox had by far the worst defense in Major League Baseball, minus 50 outs above average, which is baseball savant and baseball ref, uh, baseball savant's metric. The mm. Reds were second to last at minus 36. So they were 14 runs worse than the team that was second to last in that particular category. So their defense, remember the whole Kike thing, he couldn't throw the ball to second, he couldn't throw the ball to first. And now you have Trevor Story, as of right now, knock on wood, he's healthy to begin the season. You're going to start Grissom every day at second base. You took out one of the worst outfielders in Major League Baseball in Yoshida. He's going to be the DH. So you feel better about the outfield defense as well. There is still hope that, hey, maybe, as I alluded to earlier, maybe they can get Jordan Montgomery, and then you'd have a quality starter at the top end of your rotation. I feel pretty good about at least two guys in the rotation in Bayo and Pavetta, which is not a lot when it's a five-man rotation. I do like Crawford a lot. I do wonder about him. He tends to fatigue in games just because he's an all-out pitcher. It, it doesn't, like he doesn't have, in the words of Eck, easy cheese, right? Like there's a lot of effort in his fastball. It's one of the best fastballs in Major League Baseball by the numbers, but there's a lot of effort there. So I'm holding out hope that they can add one more piece and one more starter to this group. But I just think by getting a healthy story back, I've predicted on the show on multiple occasions, as Jamie knows, that Casas is actually going to have a better season than Devers. But I think they're each going to hit Close to 30 home runs. I think combined they go over 60. I want Story to get somewhere between 23 and 26 home runs. They need that power from the right side. I do think partially why this number is at 79 and a half, because they're they're better on paper than they were last year. Part of the reason it's there is because the division is so stacked. And I know you have less games against the division now than you've had in the past. But I think they're going to go over 75 and a half. I don't think that's an awfully difficult number for the Red Sox to get to. And the reason I would take it now, if I'm looking to make some money on this, if I tend to gamble a little bit, right? If I'm a gambling man, which I tend to be. 75 right? and a half or 79 and a half? 79 and a half, sorry. I may have said that backwards. 79 well, but, and a half. Because like, to me, that's very different. Because I, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll let you go on, but I, I think they're going to be under. I, I think this Under is 79 and a half? Yeah. But the reason I would take it now, if I yeah. believe they're going to do it, is because if they sign Montgomery, it feels mm -hmm. like this is a game of chicken between... Scott Boris, Montgomery, and the Red Sox. And I will sure. point this out, and I know it's a different regime. The Red Sox have won a game of chicken against Boris in the past. They did this with J.D. Martinez in 2018. Remember, mm -hmm. J.D. Martinez, they were trying to make it sound like he had this big market. But right. J.D. Martinez signed right before, like during spring training. And if right. you look at the top free agents, they're all Boris guys. They're all just hanging out. They're all these Scott, J.D.'s one of them, actually. But it's Blake Snell, it's Jordan Montgomery. So I'm holding out hope that they sign Montgomery. And that's why I would take that 79 and a half now, because if you get Montgomery, obviously you're getting a lot more innings out of your starting rotation if he's there. And your bullpen becomes better in that particular case as well. So I think they're going to go over. The other one I was looking at, Kaufman, and this is just a long shot, plus 2,500 for Devers to lead the league in RBIs. He had 100 last year, tied for 15th, and he was 11th in plate appearances with runners in scoring position. I think he's going to get even more opportunities this year. Like, I do like the Red Sox offense. So that's one if you're just like, hey, let's throw like 10 bucks on something. Plus 2,500 for Devers RBS. I looked at the home runs. It's just, 
there's too many guys. Like, I mean, we're talking about the Aaron Judges of the world, the Otanis of the world. I could never see him leading Major League Baseball in home runs. I'd no. love to be wrong about that. I just don't see it. No, in fact, I would probably go, I, I think his total's 33 and a half, something like that. And I'd, I'd probably be inclined to go under that, to be honest. I, I, I think that, <laughs> excuse me, I think 30, like you talked about, is certainly within reason. Is he going to go for 35? Ah, seems unlikely based on what this lineup looks like and, and you know, protection around him and in terms of, you know, the amount of like good pitches he's going to see. And we'll see. I mean, maybe the, the lineup would be better than I expect, but you know, I, I don't think it's all that impressive on paper. Uh, you know, I, so last year I, I went over and got hooked and I'm still fucking pissed about it. And like, you know, thinking back, you know, down the stretch of the season, there were, it was like a dozen games left. They needed four wins to get to the over or whatever it was. I mean, I might be fudging some of that math, but it's somewhere in that vicinity. Like they, they, they had to just literally not like bottom out and, and they would cash the over and, I remember I was talking to, you know, name drop. I was talking to Jonathan Papelbon about it. He was on my show. And I said, like, how do you feel? Like, do you think they can, uh, you know, you think they're going to get to the over? And he just goes, nope. <laughs> I, said, I said, really? Why? And he said, well, is Bayo starting every game? Because <laughs> if Bayo's not starting every game, they're not getting there. And then so it was like, as you know, they go out, they lose a Bayo start. And it's like, well, we're screwed, you know, sure enough. And, and again, got hooked. So I, I I look at the 79 and a half this year and I just think they're going to go under. I think that they are yeah, I, I've been amused by sort of this local Boston movement among people. I, I've seen like the slips on social media, people placing the bet at, at ridiculous odds that the Red Sox will have the the worst record in all of baseball. It was like plus, I don't even know, you probably have it in front of you. It was like plus four thousand odds or 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 maybe even longer than that. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just think they the 79 and a half that vicinity, it makes sense. You know, they're probably a 75 to 80 win team because they are perfectly mediocre, just like they were last year. They're not good. They're not bad. They're devastatingly in the middle. And, you know, I you mentioned, obviously, the the structuring of, of divisional games being different, you know, than it was for all those years when you're, you know, seeing your division rivals almost 20 times per season. You know, imagine because this division is so stacked, as you noted, imagine like what that over under total would look like if it was still set up that way. Like their their total might be 72 and a half, you know, because most people would just assume that the Yankees, the, you know, the Orioles, the Blue Jays are just going to beat the crap out of them all year. And that may happen, but it just will happen in a, a fewer number of games. So, yeah, I just think they're. They still have so many question marks. You know, they they don't have anybody that scares you in the rotation. You know, I I can already freaking hear the, you know, like Liam Hendricks, you know, trade deadline acquisition because he's pitching for the first time coming off the injury list. It, like, it's such a Red Sox thing to do. The offense, I mean, you're right. If if they have any chance at being, you know, a a team that, gets to the over. I'm not even talking about like flirts with a wild card spot. Just get they need to have a a obviously a career year, but but more than that, like a a great season out of Tristan Casas. You know, he needs to be he's not like going to be in the MVP conversation or anything, but he needs to, you know, really turn a corner, get to that next stage of his career and and be a, you know, 1A to 1 1A 1B kind of situation with Rafael Devers. They have to be that. If he isn't that guy, if Trevor Story you know, is generally as bad as he's been since he got here. And I hated that sighting at the time. I hate it even more now. 
then you know it's it's just disaster and i i do think like the 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 thing that on on my gambling show that we talked about a lot throughout last baseball season that i think probably will hold true this year as well is we had this running joke with the red sox like oh, how do we how do we bet the red sox tonight just go over just go over on the runs doesn't even matter what the total is go over on the runs because this team can score but you know they're sure as hell going to give up a lot of runs too so you know you're you're going to get a lot of those like 7 5 games one way or the other and and I just think this year is going to be pretty similar. I, I think they'll they'll put up some runs. They'll you know they'll they'll cash their team overs and all of that. But but game overs because the pitching staff is at least to me so uninspiring, so unimpressive, and so you know we, we still have all these injury concerns even without Chris Sale here that they're going to give up a ton of runs and they're this is going to be a you know they'll flirt with that total and they'll be a 76, 77 win team. And we'll be talking about how they don't spend. And it's just, it's so irritating. It's so disappointing, honestly, just as as a fan, as a Red Sox fan, to look at it and say, like, it, I, I hate when Sam Kennedy or Tom Werner, and not John Henry doesn't even speak anymore, but when any of these guys look at it and say, well, I mean, who's won more championships than the Red Sox in, in the 21st century? Well, you're right. You have you have won four World Series titles. You snapped the 86 year drought. Nobody has won more than you since the turn of the century, without a doubt. It's also been unmitigated disaster since you last won in 2018. Other than that one year, you know where you got back to the ALCS. Other than that, it has been awful, and people are just clamoring, begging ownership to sell this team, and it just further shows like what a you know what have you done for me lately world that sports is uh but also it's it's about the bottom dollar now for that group it's you know it's it's Fenway Roush racing it's it's the Pittsburgh Penguins it's Liverpool it's the pursuit of a basketball team it's Fenway right. game it's all of this stuff and it just feels like the Red Sox who gives a shit and it's it's for this market in that sport with no salary cap where you print money as an organization you will still find like more Red Sox hats across the country than, you know, most any other team in, in the league other than the Yankees, probably. It's like live up to your responsibilities at this point in time. Spend the money that you have and don't just allocate it elsewhere. You know, and right. like I, I well, at least I, I give Sam Kennedy respect for, you know, it. No one must feel more vindicated right now, Barrett, than than High and Bloom. And High and Bloom was not <laughs> good at his job. But at least now that we're seeing, like, with the very next guy, who's a very similar guy, albeit played the game, and Craig Breslow, but analytically driven and, you know, Ivy League and all of that, people are knowing. It was never said when Hyam was here, but it's being said now with Breslow. He's got constraints. He's He he can't just go out and do whatever he wants. That was the issue with Hyam. And within the constraints that he had, he didn't do a good job. Now we'll see if Breslow can. But there shouldn't be any freaking handcuffs to begin with. And that's the problem. Yeah. Well, it's two things can be true. They were a great ownership group for a long period of time. And they were all in at the beginning. And they won the two World Series relatively quickly in 04 and then in 07. But right now, it's not the same ownership group. Their priorities are not the same. They can deny it. But that's we have the facts. The facts are the facts. They're not the same in terms of their willingness to spend and their willingness to try to win. And the other thing I would say just... 
easy on Casas, okay, man. That's that we're a Casas pro pod here, okay. So <laughs> h- him in the MVP conversation would not surprise me whatsoever. I love that kid, but oh, by the way, right. I looked up when I looked up the FanDuel odds plus ninety five hundred to have the worst record. I think there's some really bad teams. Like I know people are doing that to like mock the Red Sox. It's right. It's not going to happen. I hope we have an interesting season. That's all I can say, and I hope they get. Jordan Montgomery, but like I said, I'm holding out hope right now. All right, that is Adam Kaufman, sports director, iHeart Boston, host of The Gambler on WRKO 680, host of Celtic Speak. Kaufman, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Can you tell I haven't talked to anybody today before you? Holy fuck, I rambled on this show, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And 1, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now, producer extraordinaire Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good, Brian. Feeling bullish about the... Red Sox at 80 wins this year. High hopes. 79 and a half. I'm over it, man. I'm over. <laughs> over 79 Jesus, and a half. Man. Let's go. The defense is going to be better. It can't be worse, although it can't I say be it's going to be better. Just be mediocre. Just don't suck, right? Like, just be, as my buddy Lou Merloni says, just suck a little. <laughs> suck a little. They sucked a lot last year. So sucking a little sounds good. They certainly did, but I am excited for baseball, man. I course, love baseball. Me too. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I want to see what these guys can do. I want to see, hey, Pavetta, the sweeper he developed last year. Is it going to be real? What's Brian Bayo going to do against lefties? Mm-hmm. Because the guy is so talented. He induces so many ground balls. What's the plan against lefties? Casas. I told Kaufman, don't ever talk about Casas <laughs> like he's <laughs> not an you. MVP candidate on the pod. Casas is going to have a great season. Rafi, I dug through the numbers a couple of weeks ago. We did a metric man breakdown. Like the numbers in the first half that weren't as good as the second half. It was a luck thing more so than anything else. The hard hit rate was top 10 in Major League Baseball. His numbers should have been better. He had some really bad luck last season at points. So I'm excited about the offense. Trevor Story, healthy, so we'll see. But anyway, let's get to an email. I think it's about one of the teams that is good in town. That's off the pike at gmail.com. What do we got, Jamie? Uh, this is from Martin. He took a bit of exception, I think, to the some of the love fest you gave uh, Luca the other day. He's writing... <laughs> he writes, sure, he's a generational talent, speaking about Luca, and a top 10 player easily, but you can't have the third best MVP odds or even be in the MVP discussion when your team is the 8th seed, or even the 6th seed, or the 5th. I think they're the 7th seed right this second. Uh, that's ridiculous. I don't think Tatum has a, a statistical case to be MVP, 
but he's got to be higher than Luka. If those two two players swapped, you really think the Mavericks would be worse than the eighth seed or that the Celtics would be even better? I think there's probably a case where the Celtics would be even worse with Luka because of his style of play. Uh, what do you think it is about Luka that insulates him from criticism for team success and has NBA media drool over him? It reminds me of the way players talked about Kyrie for a while. Uh, keep up the good work. What do you think of that, Brian? Interesting. Okay, so a couple of things there. Right now, Luka's plus 500 on FanDuel. He's behind Jokic at minus 140 and Shea at plus 210. Hmm. And the reason he's not in front of Shea is because of the standings right now. It's very... I forget if I talked about this on this show or if I did it on East Coast Bias with Raheem and House, but it's very, as Martin points out, it's very rare to see somebody outside of the top four seeds. Really, most mm-hmm. of the time, it comes from somebody that's either one or two, but sure. it's very rare to see somebody outside of the top four get there. That's why I don't think, ultimately, Luca's going to get it, but I do think if... So, I understand the argument about putting Luca on the Celtics, but if Tatum was on the Mavericks, they wouldn't be better. They would be mm-hmm. worse than... And this is not an indictment on Tatum. You know me. I love Tatum. Luca does everything for that offense. Yeah. So he does so many things. And Luca has not had like bad moments. Like he's not like, for example, like James Harden, who's had these flameouts. Luca almost beat the Clippers a couple of years ago when the Clippers first got together. He beat the Suns a couple of yeah. years ago, the year after they series. made it to the NBA Finals. He destroyed those guys. Luca has been like an incredible postseason player. And right now, He's leading the NBA in scoring, right? Like that, that needs to account for something. And all the impact metrics, he's w- way higher than Tatum in terms of the win shares, hmm. the win shares per 48 minutes. But if you look at Luka on the season and you start to think about all he does for that team and what he does offensively, he is first in points per game at 34.4. He is third in assists per game yeah, at 9.7. And he's been even better lately. So he's top three in points and assists. And I know like, hey, maybe you say ultimately that type of offense doesn't work in the postseason, that it's too dependent on one guy. I think if anything, if they don't win in the postseason, it's going to be more about their defense than it is their offense. Like nobody can stop Luka. I still like, and I think the Celtics did an unbelievable job on him and he still had 30. Like he was inefficient in that game, but he still had 30 plus points and Jalen did an outstanding job. But I don't, like, I, I really don't know what, what would the criticism of Luca be right now. And you know me, I'm a pro Tatum guy. I'm just saying, like, he said he's immune to criticism. Or maybe it's like players like, like players liked Kyrie or whatever. But I thought Kyrie, obviously Kyrie takes plenty of criticism. What would the cr- critique of Luca be right now? I guess he's not, obviously he's not an elite defender. The Mavs try. the Mavs had that one game in the postseason against the Suns two years ago where they just went at Luca. Yeah. But other than that, like, it's not like, he's six foot eight. So he's really not like a live, you can't. He's not like a small diminutive guy like Trey Young. You can take advantage of Trey Young. Luca, like maybe like I would advocate going at him like Jalen did in that game or this. And I hope they do it on Friday because he's not a great defense. Like he's not an elite, like obviously Tatum's a plus defender. Luca is not that. I'd say Luca's about an average defender, right? But I would go at him because he has to do mm-hmm. so much on the other side in terms of what he does offensively. So I guess to the original email, like I. I, I don't have an issue whatsoever with Luca being ahead of Tatum in the MVP odds. Like, I think the books have that right. I don't think there's a statistical argument for Tatum, and I think there is for Luca. And I think there's a better chance that the Mavericks could make a run here and maybe get to, say, like they finished the season fifth in the Western Conference. So you could justify that more than Tatum catching these guys statistically, I guess would be my point on that. Is So that's why I feel like it's totally fair. Like, the guys having such an outstanding seat, like, 
Russell Westbrook, when he won the MVP, they were outside the top four. Right. He averaged a tri- he averaged a triple double. Luca's season has been better because Luca's offense is good too. Like the Thunder's offense wasn't great that season. So I don't know. Like I don't want to critique Tatum, but if you're telling me, hey, like which player is a better offensive player? It's like no disrespect to Tatum. Luca's just a better offensive player. Now, if you want to talk about the complete stuff, the thing that Tatum has done at the highest level, he's proven he's a lockdown defender. Remember, mm-hmm. he ate Kevin Durant in that series a couple of years ago when Durant was three of 18 against him, right? right. So if you're talking about all around, yeah, maybe you could make an argument that Tatum has the edge. I mean, Luka, maybe. Luka's a, top-tier, Luka's a top-tier offense unto himself, right? I mean, th- that team is not nearly as talented as the Celtics team. Yeah, I think even beyond the stats that you pointed out i just think like i test wise and if you watch luka Doncic's play i mean what's the where's the disconnect with this guy with martin with this email i mean he just jumps off the screen he's fantastic and i guess the only thing you point to i mean i think the Celtics are way better teams would be the playoffs but you mentioned that series against the suns that was amazing i mean that like you mentioned they got to the finals zero four and i think there was some rumor that they all had covid so they were like a little sluggish or something that suns team but but i mean that was a really impressive postseason run i think that kind of insulates him for a while from saying he doesn't get a good run in the playoffs because that was like a Herculean effort that year. So well, I think and a couple could, yeah. Yeah. A couple of years before that he's given it to Kawhi and Paul George. Yeah. Remember, that had to go seven he's games. Yeah, and Kawhi had to be out of this world great. I, did you see the pass Luca made the other night, by the way, behind no, his I head? Did, I did the corner. Absolutely ridiculous. Oh, speaking of Luca, this is exciting. Luca and Kyrie at the garden. Do you think Kyrie will sage it on Friday night? Remember he saged it? <laughs> I think he's honestly just kind of given up. I think he's tired of losing to the Celtics. So he's now kind of pretending that there is no bad blood and that he's in, he's over it. Now that he keeps getting his ass whooped, he's over it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that game. I, I can't wait, I can't yeah, wait for that game. Mavs, Celtics, let's go Luka against Tatum. Jalen's going to get the matchup. We saw how it went last time. Jalen did an outstanding mm-hmm. job. Jalen is re- When Jalen's dialed in on a one-on-one matchup, he was, and by the way, he yeah. dropped Luca too. Remember that he dropped him. Like Luca fell over. When oh yeah. Jaylen, remember that? So, I remember that play actually. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for that. When it's a Friday night at the Garden, yeah, maybe I'll have to go to that. You gotta get there, Luka. Brian. Come on. Yeah, I'll both of us. Okay, okay, so speaking of that, how about the same game parlay for the Celtics and the Mavericks? Tatum yeah. 25 points. He had 39 against Dallas last time. Oof. Tatum eight rebounds. He had 11 rebounds against Dallas That's last easy. time. And Dallas is 24th in offensive rebounds. So there's a lot of opportunities there, like mm-hmm. not contested. And Tatum's four of his last eight hitting that eight rebound line. Hmm. So then you look at Porzingis, 20 points. He didn't play last time when he played when his former team. Remember, he didn't play. He's gone for 26 of his last eight, including two in a row. Yeah. And Porzingis, two made threes. He's done that in 11 of his last 13. And then I just threw in our old friend Kyrie, 20. <laughs> He's got to get to 20, right? I mean, come on. Kyrie's had think, a phenomenal season. That's five I, legs. I like that. I guess I got to look at the numbers a bit more closely. But the Kyrie thing is the only thing to worry about if this game's over and he decides to check out. But otherwise, I like that. And one thing I noticed actually watching uh, Porzingis this year, uh, he loves taking it to his old teams. He did it against the Knicks both uh, the past couple times he played them. So him not playing against the Mavs last time, I could see him going off. Or definitely the whole team even trying to get him the ball. So I like the two threes. I like that. I'm surprised that uh, Tatum's only hit eight rebounds in four of the last eight games. I feel like that's a lock almost eight rebounds, but I like that as well. 
Yeah, it's it's been a couple of weird games, but yeah. uh, he's, I mean, on the season, he's been, I mean, this is, I believe off the top of my head, I'll look it up right now as we're talking, but he was, this I believe is his second best rebounding season in terms of just... It's been amazing. Re- That's rebounds. one thing he does better than Luca, I'd say. Yeah, well, Luca's an outstanding rebounder too. Luca's way up there in rebounds, but yeah, for Tatum's a better rebounder than Luca. But if you look at that, but I would say Luca is still a elite rebounder, especially for his position. I'm trying to find this, but I think I tweeted this out the other day too. But this is not this is Tatum's. Okay, so it's his second best rebounding season. He's at eight point five per game. Amazing. Last year he he was at eight point eight. This is third season of over eight rebounds per game, Mm -hmm. which is uh, really amazing for a wing. That 8.8 number, I looked it up the other day. Kawhi's never been there. Durant's never been there. Yeah. And LeBron's never been there. Which is kind of like, this is his probably LeBron, his most... Un- that's amazing. Yeah, his most underrated skill is his rebounding. He's an outstanding cool. rebounder. Who is it? Uh, Bill Simmons on his, I think his podcast with uh, Russillo on Sunday. They were talking about how, you know, they could almost play him as like a power forward center in some situations, especially with his, you know, he added some muscle this year. I mean, he really... He looks like a physical force out there, and it's showing up on the glass. Yeah, and his rim numbers are way better this year. Mm-hmm. All these guys, most like Derek White's rim numbers are awesome. Tatum's rim numbers are awesome. A lot of that I attribute to Porzingis, mm-hmm. like the lane's wide open. That's why I think Dallas is going to have trouble with Porzingis in the lineup with their bigs, because he's going to pull their bigs out of the lane, the Gaffords and the Livelies of the world. So I can't you have, Brian? Did you have them on the money line as well, Celtics in that bet? I didn't. You want to throw that in? Should I throw yeah. that in? Celtic, Come Celtic, on, there's nine win win streak. Come on, at home. Make it a six legger. Okay, I'll yeah, make it man. a six legger. Throw in Celtics on the money line. Yeah. Let's we'll make throw some that money. in. I guess I'm just scarred <laughs> betting against Luca because remember a couple of years ago, I can't remember if it was it was around St. Patrick's Day. I think it was mm-hmm. the Garnett ceremony where Luca came in and they beat the Celtics. Well, they could have been more the, reason. They're gonna come back. I forget what ceremony that was. Maybe it was Pierce, I forget. But it was KG, definitely... KG around... was a couple of years ago, right? When they retired his number? Yeah, I forget. But it was definitely around St. Patrick's Day when this yeah. happened. I remember it was around St. Patrick's Day. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man. By the way, St. Patrick's Day's coming up. It is before long. I think I saw I saw some new Red Sox uniforms. They're going back to those green uniforms, which I'm excited for. But Oh, um, you were calling for that. I am calling for that. So yeah, I want those to replace their dumb you know yellow jerseys that everyone loves but whoa <laughs> you don't like those they're okay okay wear them on patriots day weekend wear them on that weekend i hate going i went to a game last year's yankees red Sox in june and they're wearing them come on there's no place for the summertime april april 20th and that's it yeah well they went on the long winning streak remember they like never lost in I the remember. yellow should have made those still- yeah. Should have made them the permanent uniforms last year after the <laughs> way things went. Although Nike's got to figure this out. They're having some problems with the uniforms. They're like see-through. I don't know what's going on there. They got a million problems. I was re- I've been weirdly invested in all this. They like have the small lettering you know, on the back of their jerseys. And everyone yeah. hates it. And they're, like, they're like, the jerseys are lighter. I'm like, give me a break. You think this is going to be the difference between a stolen base? Like how big his letters are on the back? Right. Yeah. Big and it, I saw some of them, like people that have long names. It looks so weird. It's like, like a, a rainbow. Rainbow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. All right, Jamie, good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in at 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions at offthepike@gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days.
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.com org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts, or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in- This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC Pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 